Thank you. Take your Bibles this morning and turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, I hope that as the trio was singing that song about I have Jesus, really making a statement, I have Jesus, how could I want more? Could you identify with them? Did you find your heart rejoicing in the salvation that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ? And then for those of us who are saved, we know that heaven is our home. We know that we've been forgiven of our sins, past sins, present and future sins. So there's a sense of rejoicing. But then there's that question, how could I want more? Um, And yet in our flesh, is there not this craving for more? Right. And uh, and so that we're in a battle. And yet, what a wonderful, glorious truth to know that we have been saved and forgiven, and heaven is our home through the Lord Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to be at, and we're going to go to a different, few different passages today as uh, we continue our series on stewardship. And in particular this morning, we're going to look at something that we all engage in, and we have some who maybe are in their teenage years, you don't have a full-time job yet. Um, but you're in school, and then we have some here who are retired, uh, retired from a certain specific work or career, and yet I could ask the retirees, do you find ways to stay busy, and uh, do you have work that you have to do on a weekly basis, and many of you, I remember one man saying that he works harder now that he's retired than he did when he was in the shop. Um, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it'd be different for each one of us, but uh, we want to. I want to look at what the Bible says about work, uh, what we do, and uh, should a student in high school or a student in college work hard at their schooling, at their education? And I could talk to some young people this morning, and I could ask you. I could say, "Do you like school?" And some, there are some who would say yes. And there are others who would say, no. (laughs) Okay, but regardless of whether they like school or whether they dislike school, it's their job. It's what they're doing almost full time. It's what they do. And so what should the mindset of a student be in school? Uh, Whether they're good at um, education, schooling, or whether it's hard for them. Maybe it's hard for them. And we have different people in this room. And if I were to ask you about your job and I could say, what do you do for a living? And you could tell me what you do. And some of you might find yourself sighing or exhaling, you know, as you think about what you do for a living. It's it's challenging. Maybe you're at a point in your career where it's challenging for you. Uh, Others, you I, I, I probably could get you to stop talking about what you do because you enjoy it. You're passionate about it. You look forward to it. You love being there. Um, even maybe in, in your workplace. I remember years ago, um, there was a young mom out in Connecticut and her husband was very busy and she was, we were in all having a conversation. Her husband was a business owner at that time, still is. And uh, there was another young mom there and uh, a little bit younger, maybe by 10 years or so. And, uh, and her husband was working for the federal government. And, um, and the wife was complaining about how much her husband works at that point in his life. And the older but still young mom uh, made the comment to her friend that at that stage in life, that is when a man is establishing himself in his career. It takes maybe even sometimes a little more effort at that time in his career to establish himself in what he's doing. And I thought that was interesting coming from just hearing this, overhearing this conversation. Um, and so I don't know where you're at this morning, but I want to talk about this. We're thinking in the context of stewardship and think of it this way. God has given each one of us something to do. And some of us go and we work and we get paid for that. Others of us, maybe you stay at home and you work. You don't get a paycheck for that, but you're still working. You're not turning in your hours. We have some wives and mothers here. You could turn in your hours to your husband. I don't know how that would go. You know, uh, honey, here are my hours this week and the rates have gone up. Okay, Uh, I'm on strike. You know, you could say maybe to your husband, but 
I want us to think about what, what the Bible says about work. I think, I think few people are completely satisfied with what they do. I think there tends to be, and this comes from our flesh, a lot of complaining. It doesn't seem to matter if we're talking about doctors or lawyers or CEOs or stay-at-home moms or secretaries or mechanics or carpenters or pastors or teachers. Uh, many working people say that they are unhappy with their jobs, and they give a, a number of different reasons for that. Some of them say it's unfulfilling. Uh, others live in constant fear of losing their job or maybe their job changing, you know, and, and I think we've all uh, experienced different fears. Uh, some would say, I don't like it because it's so boring, okay? You're just bored with your job or inadequate wages or maybe maybe the struggle is with overwork. Uh, there's The expectations for you are so high and you never can seem to measure up to those expectations, and if you're into bumper sticker philosophy, maybe you've come across this statement, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, okay? And uh, I think that would describe much of America today. But you know, most of our adult life is spent working. Most of our adult life, is, our lives are spent working. Um, and, and I think people tend to lean into one of two extremes, uh, one extreme would be people work as little as possible because work is so unpleasant. That's one extreme. I'm just going to get out of there as quick as I can. I'm going to do as little as I can. I'm going to be there as little as I can. I, I don't want to be around it. I want to be done with it as soon as I can. Or the other extreme would be that people tend to work all the time because work is so overwhelmingly important to them. It's their identity. Um, they don't have an identity outside of work. Uh, they don't feel like they're uh, contributing anything to the family budget or maybe into our society or just in their personal life. They don't feel mean they have any meaning if they're if they're not working and doing what they've always done. And so the Bible, it does teach us that work is valuable. Okay, It's important. The Bible teaches us that work is valuable. But it also teaches us that we need to have a balance in our work. And I would ask you, do you have a balance in your work and what you do? And, and I'm not just talking about what you do 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week or whatever your hours are for a week. I'm not. Work is more than that. Do we all understand that? Work is more than that. Um, you may not get paid as well for mowing your lawn, but there's still work there or taking care of your property or uh, your home or things like that. There's still work there. Um, all of that is encompassed in work. Some people just, some of us just endure work until the day we can retire and we walk away. And others like to work so much that they end up neglecting other important areas of life. Of life. But the word of God will help us find satisfaction. It does. And it helps us find the balance, the right balance when it comes to our work. And I want to get an overview this morning of what the Bible says about work. I think sometimes, and I get the impression that sometimes people view work as bad. Um, and nobody moves, okay, I'm not trying to draw anybody out into the open and what you think or expose that for everybody to see. But some, I think, have the, the mindset that work is a result of the curse of God upon mankind through the fall of Adam and Eve. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Work is not a result of the curse. Now, harder work <laughs> is a result of the curse. You know, uh, gardening with weeds and thistles and thorns, that's a result of the curse. But the actual work of bending over to put seeds in the ground is not a result of the curse. And we're going to see that this morning. I ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. And I'm thinking reading in verse number 15. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, God had instructed Adam and Eve. He'd given them the responsibilities and he had instructed them to work. Look at verse number 15 of Genesis chapter 2. It says, And the Lord God took the man and, and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it 
And that word dress means to work or to serve. And to keep it. And that means to protect or to attend to the garden. So, so, so immediately, God gives Adam responsibility. And as long as you and I are on this earth, we have responsibilities. We do. We, we have responsibilities that God gives to us. Now, um, jobs, responsibilities may change, right, with, with ability, with health, um, with age. Uh, careers may change. Work may change. Um, but God has given every single one of us things to do specifically on the matter of work. And uh, so, so despite what I think many people believe, work was initiated by God in the sinless environment of the Garden of Eden for the benefit of Adam and Eve. And it wasn't until, until after the fall that work was made more difficult. Look over to chapter 3, would you? You're still in Genesis chapter 3. Look at verses seven, verse 17. I'll read down through verse 19. And this is after Adam and Eve have sinned. And in verse 17, the Bible says this, And unto Adam God said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the, the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. That, and thou that shalt eat the, her, the herb of the field, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and to dust shalt thou return. And so in those verses you see now we've got thorns and thistles, um, and, and until a person passes away. So work is intensified or made more difficult because of the fall of man, because of sinning and disobeying the Lord. And that, that makes sense to us. Life is comp more complicated and more difficult whenever we choose to disobey God's word and his instruction and try to figure out life on our own or maybe follow the world in which we live. Life always gets more difficult whenever we do that. And, and certainly that was true for Adam and Eve. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 21, God says this, Six days shalt thou work. You're saying, Pastor, are you saying that I need to go get a job where I work 60 hours a week? No, no, that's not what I'm saying. Um, how many of you get, get things done around your house on Saturdays? I know everybody doesn't have the same schedule, right? Um, but there's work to be done. There, there's work that we do. Sometimes we can't get it all done in a week. Doesn't it feel that way? You think, I got my work responsibility, my, my employment responsibilities. And then I got responsibilities for work at home, and I got responsibilities for work with my family, and there's other responsibilities, and I can't get it all in. Well, God says, six days shalt thou work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. And so it was actually the law of God that God's people work six days a week. Now, again, I'm not proposing and we're not changing office hours at the church to Monday through Saturday. And, of course, they, the guys work on Sunday. The pastors work on Sunday. You know, eight to will increase the hours eight to six p.m. because we're going to. No, no, no. There's other work that these men need to be getting done. There's other work that you need to be getting done outside of your employment. In the New Testament, God is just as direct in Second Thessalonians when he says this. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So that's pretty direct. Okay, that kind of uh, shoots down some of the philosophies that have been in the world for many years now. And the philosophy of uh, someone else should be taking care of us. We should not have to work and we should just be fed. And, and God says that is not the case. One of the primary reasons for work, according to the word of God, is to develop our character. Do we understand that? How many of us know that? That the employment that you have, the employer that you have, do you like him? Don't move. Do you like him? Do you respect him? Is it a joy to go in and work for him or her? Uh, the company that you 
that you work for? Do you respect them at a high level? And you're going, I, I got some opinions, Pastor. I know you do. And uh, we all do. But one of the primary reasons for work is to develop us. It's not just for the money. You say, well, that's why I go. I know. That's there too. But, but one of the primary reasons for work in our lives is that our character will be developed. You know that while a carpenter is building a house, his character is being built, right? I've been a part of different remodeling projects. I've used to work different uh, different builders doing trim carpentry for one builder and another building pole barns in the state of Michigan and roofing and those different things like that. I wouldn't consider myself a builder. Um, if you want your house to be this way, come to me. Uh, but, but I've worked in that field a little bit. And projects don't always go well or easily. If you're digging post holes for a barn, a, a pole barn, inevitably one of those poles of the holes that you're digging, you're going to run into tree roots or rocks or it, something's going to go wrong. You know, something's going to go wrong throughout that project. And so how does a builder respond when things go wrong? How does the how does the builder respond when the the homeowner goes wrong? You know, I mean, how in, in the builder, his character is being built. Same. We, we talk about nurses, you know, um, they, they serve on those floors, those patients. And and the patients have opinions sometimes. And the 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 many people who now love the patient they have opinions, you know, at times, and the other nurses and doctors have opinions. And, and in that, what can be a strenuous situation, the, the, the nurse, her character is being built, it's being developed. And, uh, and so the Bible also talks about different professions. And we got a number of different professions represented uh, in the room this morning. And it's interesting that the Bible doesn't elevate one profession over another profession. The Bible doesn't do that. Uh, I think sometimes we tend to do that. Uh, society can do that. But the Bible does not do that. It's honorable to work, and so there's dignity in all types of professions. And I think there's a wide range of professions that are represented in the Bible. David was a shepherd. Um, that was honorable. David was a warrior. Uh, he was a king. Um, how about Luke? He was a doctor. Lydia was a retailer of uh, fabric or purple. And uh, Daniel was a government worker. Amos was a farmer. He was a fig picker. Okay, that's what, what Amos did. And if God can use a fig picker, then he most certainly can use us in our vocation. And it's, it, 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 I think Jesus, I would expect him growing up under his stepfather, Joseph, um, the Bible says he was a carpenter in when Cindy and I were in Israel, we were in that area. And, and the, the guy we were with, they, he said a carpenter in that day would have been a stonemason. That's what a carpenter would have done. It wasn't a whole lot of wood to work with, um, but there was a lot of stones to work with. And a lot of the homes were built out of stone and buildings were built out of stone. And uh, I've seen different masons on different job sites, and their hands are worn. They're massive and powerful and strong, and their fingers are worn from handling the stones and the rocks. And uh, Jesus was not someone who was uh, effeminate. Okay, I, I think he would have been a strong, powerful man. Okay. Um, and here he is, he's born into this home and, and very likely working with stones. He's a builder, and I think he would have been good at what he did um, as, as he was growing up in that home. And so uh, whether, whether a person is a mechanic or whether a person is a, the, the president of General Motors, it doesn't matter to God. God cares about how that person does their job, and that's what the Bible is after. And so I would ask you this morning, what kind of an employee are you? Now, we have some who are self-employed, right? 
So you don't necessarily answer to someone right above you, but if, if, if you own your own company, then who do you answer with? Answer to. You may answer to a board. You might answer to clients. You're answering to maybe a lot of people if you're in a self-employed situation. So uh, the question I have for all of us, as we think about ourselves as stewards, God has made us who we are. He's put us in the position he's put us into in employment in some way or responsible for a certain piece of property or responsible for our families. And the question is, what kind of a steward are we being with the employment that God has entrusted into our care? And I want to ask two questions this morning. Number one, what is God's part in our work? What is God's part in our work, number one? And I think God reveals three specific responsibilities that God has in connection with our work, our employment. Uh, I'll give you three of them. Number one, God gives job skills. Okay, God gives job skills. Uh, Ted Green, you're a carpenter. How many years have you been a carpenter? All your life. I want to ask you how old you are in public, okay? But uh, it's been a lot of years, hasn't it? Has it been over 60? Okay. Um, you know, Dr. Norell, you're a doctor, a medical doctor. We have uh, nurses in the room, multiple, multiple nurses in the room. We're always thankful for the nurses when one of us needs one uh, here at the church. But uh, we, have diff- we have salesmen in the room. We have, we have contractors in the room. Okay, so n- no matter what it is that you do, God has... He has made you who you are. He gives job skills. Listen as I read from Exodus chapter 36. The next place we're going, by the way, is Psalm 75, if you want to get ahead. But in Exodus chapter 36, in verse 1, the Bible says this, Then wrought uh, Bezalel and uh, Aholiab and every wise-hearted man, and then listen to this, in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary, according to all that the Lord had commanded. Now, this is interesting. God had given specific instruction as to how this place of worship was to be constructed. But here's the amazing thing. Not only did God give specifics as to, I want it like this and like this and like this, but he also raised up men who had understanding and knowledge and wisdom, who could do what God was going to ask them to do. Isn't that amazing? And and I believe the same is true for every single person in this room. God has given you the knowledge he wants you to have. He's given you the understanding that he wants you to have. I mean, there are different things that Pastor Tolman can do that I can't do. God has given to Pastor Tolman abilities that he didn't give to me, okay? Um, and, and it's funny, we could go both sit down at the piano and I, he could play a song and I could play a song and, and the ability would be a lot different. Uh, it even is in the understanding of music. Um, I love music, but I don't have those abilities. And his mind is just different. It works differently, right? I'm picking on him a little bit, but it's true. God made him uniquely different, and he made each one of us uniquely different. Uh, And I love how the Bible puts that, in whom the Lord put wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary. Uh, Later, the Bible says in verse 2 there that Moses calls these men, and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom. They knew uh, how to use their knowledge and understanding and how to apply that to the situation, to the building project that was before them. Um, And I I want you to consider your your own lives. God put some of us, some of you, in positions to receive an education. But others, he didn't do that. He didn't put you in that position to receive that specific nursing degree. Uh, Or he uses it, he gives you that at different times in in your life. He didn't, you you didn't have it at this point, but then he, in his time, he, he put you there. Okay. 
And, and, and just like he did with these two men, he is, he's given each one of us specific job skills. It's not a matter of one person being more intelligent than the other person. It's a matter of having received of God different capabilities of God uh, for his purpose. And so do you understand that your intellect has been given to you by God? Um, this is interesting because some of some of us in this room are really good at education. You know, get us a desk, get us a notepad, you know, give us a pencil and a pen and just sit us down and just teach. And we take notes and, and then we're great at taking tests. And others of us give us a desk, give us a notepad, sit us down with our pen. And we're like, what? What? I have nothing. You know, how many of you don't raise your hand? But how many of you can identify with that? But, but I dare say, and, and again, I'm not saying that laziness is a good thing, or, or, but God makes us different. And there are people who really struggle to get words through their ears, out their fingers, onto paper, but who are very intelligent. They're made just the way God wanted them to be made. They can do things that people who are great at taking a test can't do. God made us all different. And, and uh, he gives skills. He gives intellect, wisdom, understanding, and capabilities according to his will. Uh, I'll give you a second thought, and that is that God gives success. God gives success. In Genesis chapter 39 and verse 2, the Bible says this, talking about Joseph. And it says that the Lord was with Joseph and that he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And the master saw that the Lord was with him. This is not just specific to Joseph. It's about him. But I wonder how many of our employers can tell God is with him. God is with her. Uh, my employee is prospering. This employee prospers in a unique way. Uh, the point is this, God made Joseph to prosper. It wasn't just because Joseph was amazing in and of himself. Uh, God put him into slavery, despised by his own family, rejected of men in that way. But God had him right where he wanted him, and God made Joseph to prosper. And he goes on to say that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So ultimately, we're going to move on from this. God is the one who gives success. A person can have a Harvard degree. A person can have all of the opportunities of life given to him. You've got a, a Harvard degree and you've got a, a Yale doctorate and, and you've got this high paying job and you've got all the wealth and everything's put. Listen, God makes people to prosper. That is, that is it. End of story. Our world is, is, is uh, our society and the way that we think is, is with, that we, we, we think our society lives life as if there is no God. So they give all glory to Harvard. They give all glory to Yale. They give all glory to themselves, dressed for success. How you present yourself. Now, are there common, there's some common sense things. Some of the, but ultimately, it is God who gives success. And so whenever you and I encounter success in a sale or in a project or in, or in uh, solving a problem or an issue, maybe it's interpersonal, maybe it's in counseling, uh, whatever, wherever you find success as believers in God, Gives give glory to God. Okay, uh, find time to 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 pray and say, God, thank you for success on this project. I'll give you a third uh, a third part of God's work, and that is in Psalm seventy five in verse six. I asked you to turn there, and that God and and that is this: God controls promotions. God controls promotions, and some might say, No, no, no. Uh, my boss controls promotions, <laughs> Pastor Ferguson, because I've seen people who deserved a promotion not get a promotion and people who were deceptive and dishonest and get a promotion. 
Look at Psalm 75 and verse 6. He says, for promotion, that means to lift up, cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. God is the one who gives promotions. You say, well, I, I, well, I, I can't be angry at my boss anymore. Now, I'm not defending your boss here, okay? They may be a very ungodly, evil, uh, wicked person, okay? I don't know that. Um, but God still is the one who gives promotions. Whether the boss has wisdom, whether the employer or the owner of the business has is foolish and simple or, or unwise, God is the one who gives promotions. And... Uh, and so we have to understand it's not our boss who is the one who gives the promotion. It's God. God is the one who gives promotions. And if we'll understand this, it'll, it'll have a tremendous impact, I think, on our attitude and how we work. That, th- that this isn't the, the way most people think, though, that God gives promotions. Most people leave God out of work. Uh, most people live in continual frustration and believe that their success and promotions depend completely on men or maybe completely on their own performance, or, or lucky breaks in life, or the employer. But think about this for a minute. Do you believe that God has given you your skills? Yes or no? Do you believe that God has given you your knowledge and your wisdom? And then I would ask, or I would make the statement, He not only has given you those things, but He's also the one who controls your promotion. He is the one who gives you your promotion. He is the one that helps you close that sale. He's the one that, that, that helps you solve that problem. And ultimately, he is the one. He is your provider. Okay, so that is God's part in when it comes to, to work. Um, we, we won't take the time to do it. But we could look at a David. We could look at Joseph. We could look at Nehemiah. Um, all of those scenarios. God is the one who controlled their promotion. He's the one who gave them promotion. Uh, And we we can look at them. We can say, wow, we can see wisdom here. We can see what they did here. That was good. God used this. God used that. Look at how he approached the king in that scenario. We can consider all those things. But ultimately, God is the one who gave them promotion. So number two, then, I ask this question. What is our work or our part in our work? If God has a part in our work, he gives us job skills, he gives us success, he controls promotions, uh, then what's our part when it comes to work? And and, and that's a great question. I read a story, uh, two men were walking down the street and in the store window they were passing, it said, no help wanted. And the one friend said to his buddy, he said, you should apply there. You'd be great. Okay, Um, so I would ask you, what kind of an employee are you? What kind of what kind of work do you do? And and again, I'm talking to some who are retired. You don't go into the shop anymore. You don't go into the office anymore. That time in your life is past. But you have other responsibilities. You have other things that you do. Do you do them with excellence? Um. Are you making good use of your time? Uh, we have others. You're not, you're not fully retired yet, but you're in that semi-retired mode. And I would ask you, what kind of work do you do? Some of us are right in the middle of it. Maybe we're still early on and we're establishing our reputation. We're establishing what kind of work we do. Um, the people we work for are watching us and they're figuring us out what they can expect out of us. Now, we have some young people here. You're students. You're in, you're in school. And, uh, and sometimes there's an attitude in school of, you know what? My grades don't matter. Um, you know, by the way, not every young person should get all A's. Maybe there would be some getting C's. Honestly, getting C's would be awesome before the Lord. And God will say, well done. Well done. You did well with what I gave you to do. I knew from before I ever created you that school was going to be a trial for you. 
And yet I caused you to go to school anyway. I made you this way and I knew you were going to go to school. And there are going to be other things in your life that are going to come easier to you. But I know school was going to be really hard for you. Um, what, what kind of a student are you? What kind of respect do you give to your teacher? Teachers. How hard do you work? You say, well, if school's really hard at me, or hard for me, I shouldn't even try. No, no. No, you should. You should do whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. And that really gets to the heart of our responsibility as, as people who have work to do. We, we ought to do it as unto the Lord. And so scripture reveals that we're actually serving who in our employment? We're serving God. So you shouldn't just work hard at that project because, because it's a speech and everybody's going to see you and you, and you want to look good. Okay. Um, you have no problem failing written work because only the teacher sees that. But when it comes to when you're up in front, you got to look good. So now you turn on the, the hard work that you have the capability for. Other, other young people may say, I work really hard in school because I want a great reputation amongst the teachers. Okay, so you're working for their applause. Um, what we're supposed, our, our prim, the primary person we're supposed to please when it comes to what we do is God, is God. Some of us love our employer or the owner of the company. Uh, maybe it's a bonus. Um, so there's financial remuneration. Or, or maybe we work for the applause of men. And, and the Bible tells us don't work for the applause of men. As, as Christians, he's given you this task to do. You're an engineer. You're, you're a student in 10th grade. Um, at Flushing High School, um, you're a salesman, um, you, you're a contractor, you're a pastor, you're a teacher. What is it that you do? Who are you doing it for? And that is the, that's the heart of this matter. Why do you work so hard? Why do you strive for excellence? Why don't you strive for excellence? Why don't, why don't we work hard? Why, why do we ease back sometimes? Should we be, when's the right time to do these things? Ultimately, it comes down to everything that we do, we ought to do to please the Lord. You say, I'm a stay-at-home mom, Pastor Ferguson. Um, and, and I know all moms are different when it comes to some want the house immaculate and some, you know, it's like we're, we're everyone's alive. Okay, so that's success. Okay. And, and I'm not here to nitpick those different things, but, but think about this as a stay-at-home mom. Your husband may not see everything or notice everything that you do. There's a good chance he doesn't. Um, your children, uh, at this point in their childhood, may not say thank you to you a lot for all of the effort that you put into being a mom and taking care of them. But God is watching. And so whatsoever you do, do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord, not unto men. It, it's not primarily for your children, and you love them. It's not primarily for your husband. It's not primarily for your reputation. If someone walks into your house, what are they going to think of you? No, 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 it's not about you. It's about you serving serving the Lord. So um, it's interesting in Titus, and we're going to read this in just a little bit, but he talks about how the work that we do should adorn the doctrine of God. I want you to think about that. I'm not going to explain it now because we're going to get there in a little bit. Look over to Colossians. Would you? Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, and look at verse 23 and 24. I, I quoted part of this, but in Colossians 3 and verse 23, the Bible says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. I remember playing on a, I was part of a basketball team uh, in college, and we all had a shirt with this verse, Colossians 3, 23, on it. And I believe it said something like, heartily 
as unto the Lord on it. And the coach was trying to emphasize to us, Coach Scott at that time was trying to emphasize to us, even playing basketball, you do it as unto the Lord. You're not doing it for the applause of the coach. You're not doing it to just defeat the opponent on the court or even for your teammates. You're doing it as unto the Lord. I mean, this is just a dramatically different way to think when it comes to living life. Look at verse 24. He says, knowing, why would we do this as, why would we live our lives and work hard? Uh, why would we do it? He says, knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. And then he says, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Now, it's interesting, and we're not going to have a lot of time here with Colossians but Colossians 3, specifically, he's talking to believers who were actually slaves. So they didn't have the opportunity to say, you know what, I feel like a career change. But you know what, I don't like the way you talk to me as an employer. They didn't have that opportunity. They didn't live in, in, they didn't live in the society that we live in today. They couldn't change their situation. And some of you in this room would say, Pastor Ferguson, I can't change my situation either. I mean, I, I could dream a little bit and maybe it could happen. I don't even know where to begin, Pastor Ferguson. This is where I'm at. This is who I am. This is what God's given me to do. And yeah, there are some things that I really don't like if you were to ask me about them. Well, embrace the Colossians 3.23 mindset and 3.24 mindset. That whatever you do, you're going to do it with all of your heart, heartily. That's what it means. With all of your heart, as unto the Lord, not unto man. Knowing that God is going to reward you someday for, for the work that you did. Now, that's exciting to me. You say, okay, so I make this much money per hour. I, these are my benefits. And this is my package. And this is what I get for the work that I do in this career. No, no, no. Not if you're a child of God. The benefits have yet to be given. You have yet to reap the benefits. You have yet to reap the rewards. You say, well, this is who I am. This is what I do. And this is what I get paid. If you're doing it only for the money, if I'm doing it only for the money, if we're doing it only for what people think of us, that they think, wow, he's a hard worker or he's, he is, he is, uh, he is amazing in his detail, so detail-oriented. Or, wow, he can really get things done. Or she, she does this or she does that. If we're only doing it for the, what other people think of us, then we have our reward right here. That's it. But if we will do it as unto the Lord and not unto men, not only will you get a, a B or an A or maybe a C plus on that quiz or test because you worked hard at it, not only will you get a, uh, a great job from your teacher or a, hey, good hustle from your coach, but someday, if you will do it as unto the Lord, you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and he will say to you, well done. And there will be eternal reward that God will give to you that you will be able to enjoy for all of eternity. Because you lived your life and you took your employment and you did it as unto the Lord. Not unto men. I mean, this encourages me as your pastor. Because I'm not just standing here and saying, work hard, work harder, do a better job. Uh, maybe you'll get a raise. Maybe your employer is just. Maybe he'll notice. No, no, no. What I'm able to tell you from the word of God is, if you, will, if you will do what God has given you to do as unto him, if you'll do it, you're going to go in and you're going to say, Lord, help me to do well in this test or help me in my study for this test. And you will do it if you'll apply yourself because you love the Lord then God himself is going to praise you someday for that. I mean, that is exciting. That is exciting to me. And so the most, the most important question we need to answer every day is, who are we working for? I'm getting up early. I'm going in. Who am I working for? Who am I working for? And I want you to answer, your, answer that question. I want you to ask that question throughout this next week. Who am I working for? Now, the Bible warns us against slothfulness. In Proverbs 12 and verse 27, it says, The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. In Proverbs 18 and verse 9, the Bible says, He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. 
So we ought, we ought not be lazy lest the people that watch us work equate laziness with God. Most of us would say, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I believe in God. I believe in the Bible. Well, if, if we say, I believe in the Bible, but I'm lazy, then it might lead an unsaved person to believe that laziness is something that is scriptural. But, but that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Now, I want to stop for just a moment. I want to, I want to talk to the workaholics for a minute, okay? I don't know too many. I don't, know, I don't really have anybody in mind. I don't know that anybody here is really lazy. If you are, it needs to be, there needs to be repentance of turning away from it. But I want to talk to others maybe who are workaholics. You, you work all the time in the sense that that's where your identity is. You take great pride in that you aren't lazy and, uh, and you work all the time. You know, working too hard, I think, is another extreme, and it's an extreme problem. Um, being a workaholic. And in this sense, because then parents aren't with their children enough to train them up and nurture them, train them up in the way that they should go. You, it, would be a, it would be a mistake to succeed at work, to have the applause of people at work in your place of employment, and people think, wow, that man is amazing, but he has completely lost his relationship with his children, and they don't know him. And he's leading his children not to live for the Lord, but to live for himself or themselves. That would be a that would be a terrible thing. Um, spouses who can't spend enough time with one another and their relationship comes apart because they come unraveled. That would be that would be a tragedy as well. How about people who are forsaking the assembling of themselves together with the body of Christ? God tells us gather, assemble. But we work so hard in other areas that we, we don't have time for God's people. We don't have time for the church. So all three of these things I just mentioned, whether it be our children or our spouses or the, the assembly, the body of Christ, we have to be careful that we don't put our work. We can say oh, that person's an amazing worker, employer or an employee, but but they don't love the body of Christ and. They, their, their relationship with their spouse has come apart and their children do not know the Lord and do not love him and do not follow him, that would be a tragedy. Okay, So um, it's important that we, as we looked at a few weeks ago, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Um, and Exodus 34, while it does say, six days shalt thou work, thou shalt work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. And this this command has application for all of us here today. Resting really, I think, is an issue of faith. Am I willing to say, you know what, I, I know I've got a ton of work. It's not that I, I don't come to church because I have nothing else to do. You know, that's not why people should come to church. It's actually a, an act of faith. We're going to we're going to set our work down. <laughs> some, some of this is really hard. I'm going to put the work down. And you know what? I know rain's coming. Or, or I know this is, uh, but I'm going to trust the Lord. And I'm going to assemble with God's people. And I'm going to focus on the Lord and his words to me. And I'm going to worship him because I know that ultimately my provision, his provision in my life comes from him and not me. And, and I think for some in our society, it would make no sense to take time to stop working, to gather with God's people and do, do nothing, to rest from work, okay? Because I'm not making money anymore. I'm not being profitable anymore. I need to keep going. And it really does come down to an act of faith. So what kind of an employee should we be? Look over to Daniel chapter 6, and we'll, we'll conclude here. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel was in the government, and you remember he had been taken into slavery by, ba by uh, the Babylonians and uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Early on in Daniel's life, Daniel had chosen to do the right things in faith, 
and risked being overlooked or passed over. And God blessed him for doing the right things. And as Daniel grew into a man, Daniel continued to do right things. He, he was a righteous man. He did what was right before the Lord. And in Daniel chapter 6, look at verse number 1. And throughout this chapter, in the beginning part of it, we really see some um, attributes of what a good employee looks like. I'll begin reading in verse 1. It says, It pleased Darius, who was the king at this time, to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these, the 120 princes, he set over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was first. Now, are we all following this? Darius is the king, and then there are, uh, there are these three presidents. Daniel is the first. And then there are 120 princes who are over all of the kingdom. And it says that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Verse 3, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Okay, I mean, this is pretty amazing. This is a boy who's been, he was taken captive, captive and brought into captivity and he's grown up away from uh, all that he knew as a child. He's growing up in a pagan uh, environment, okay? And, and yet he's done right and God has blessed him. He's promoted him. And you have Darius the king and he has in his mind, Darius does, I'm going to put Daniel uh, under me over the entire kingdom. And uh, this did not go over well, okay? Um, when the other people, uh, the other presidents, the other leadership realized what was happening, they came up with a plan, and they came up with a plan knowing that Daniel would be entrapped. And basically they said to King Darius, uh, King Darius, let uh, you need to make a law that we all worship you for 30 days, and if anybody doesn't worship you during those 30 days, he'll be thrown into a lion's den because everybody, King, you're the best you're the best in the world, and we all should love and honor and worship you. And, of course, as I think m many politicians would, uh, he kind of fell into this, and he liked that idea, 30 days of self-worship and exaltation sounds good, and uh, he went ahead and signed the decree. Okay, so it would be done. Now, the men, this was a trap for Daniel. They knew that Daniel was going to pray to his God, and he did that. Um, and, uh, but I want, I want to notice, I want to notice, look at verse four, the beginning part, who Daniel was verse four, just quickly. It says, then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Um, they sought to find occasion and here's the fact they couldn't, they couldn't find anything wrong with him. He was an honest man. He was a man of integrity. And when I think of what kind of workers, employers, employees that you and I should be, uh, students in school, we need to be people of integrity. I mean honest people. People who tell the truth. People who tell the truth even if it means we don't get the raise. People who tell the truth even if it means that we don't keep our job. I mean people who tell the truth. And I, and, I, and I say this in a world, in a, in, a, in a country now, in a society where it is not popular to tell the truth. It is not the norm for people to tell the truth. And I'm saying to you and to me, let's be people who tell the truth. Proverbs 11 and verse 1 says, A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Proverbs 20 and verse 7 says, The just man walketh in his integrity. Listen to this. His children are blessed after him. A just man walketh in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. Why? Because he is an honest man. Don't take shortcuts. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't lie to cover up. Don't lie for self-promotion. Be honest. It's more than just that one project. It's more than just that one job. It's more than just that one customer. 
It's more than just, well, I will never do that again. The stake of your children, the blessedness of your children depends on your integrity. We can do this. We can be honest. Number two, he was faithful. Look at the end of verse number four. It says, but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. He was faithful. And so I would ask us, can we can we be counted on to do the job that we've been asked to do? Whatever what's put before you, something that's right to do when your employer gives you a responsibility. Can you be found? Are you dependable? Can he depend upon you? Uh, Daniel was dependable. These these other politicians. Wow. I think they did background checks on Daniel before there were background check in abilities in computers. I think they were spying on him. They were looking at him. They were checking the books. They were trying to find something in his life where he had taken a little bit here and taken a little bit there. After all, he had been brought into captivity. After all, this wasn't even his home country. After all, uh, he hadn't asked for any of this. He hadn't sought this out and, and, and God had put him in a position. I mean, didn't he deserve a little bit here and a little bit there? And I think they checked all of those things and they couldn't find anything. He was faithful. He was dependable. They wanted something that they could take to Darius and say, here's your man, Daniel. You want to put him over us? Well, I wouldn't do that. Here's what here's what here's what he's done. By the way, they were looking for in, for things in Daniel's life that I imagine were all throughout their own lives. OK, they knew what to look for because they were doing it themselves. But he was faithful. Number three, uh, he was prayerful. Look at verse number 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writings were signed with sign, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He didn't stop praying. Daniel was a man of prayer before the edict was given, and he was a man of prayer after it was given. It wasn't going to stop. He was a man of prayer. He was a man who prayed. He was a man who asked God, even if it would cost him his own life, he wasn't going to stop praying. And you know what? Many of us, it costs us our lives. It costs us our children. It costs us our marriage because we don't pray. Daniel was willing to pray even if it cost him his life. How many of us, or in a situation where it might cost us our life if we pray. The only thing we have if we pray is gain. And I and I challenge you as men in this room, be men of prayer. Be men of prayer. Uh, some of some there are many in this room you are intelligent, you are educated, you are skilled, you have wisdom and knowledge and understanding from God. God has given you much. But are we men of prayer? Do we pray for our marriages? Do we pray for our children? Do we pray for our church? Do we pray for one another? Daniel was a man of prayer. Uh, Look at verse 12. He gave honor. Look at verse 12. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the decree, the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any any god or man within 30 days, save thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, the thing is true, according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. And then answered they and said before the king that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king. And and the the word regardeth means he doesn't regard you, doesn't honor you. Okay, Uh, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. He's praying then. The king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. And then the king commanded and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions And now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually. What a testimony, by the way. 
he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his, of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither was uh, instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. And then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said, O Daniel, Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? And then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. Uh, there's a lot in those verses, but I just want to draw your attention to verse 21. Darius has been an arrogant, selfish, self-worshipping person. Daniel has served him faithfully for all this time. Darius knew who Daniel was. Darius wasn't considering Daniel when he set up this edict. He was considering himself. And maybe you would say, my employer is all about himself. It's all he thinks about. He never thinks about me. He never thinks about my welfare. He never thinks about my good. He never considers my family. He doesn't consider my needs. It's all about himself. And, and notice what Daniel does to the king. What does he do? He, he honors him. He honors him. Did Darius deserve honor? Yes or no? No. And I dare say to us, this is the way we ought to honor our employers. This is the way we ought to honor the, the owner of the company. I was at Home Depot yesterday with a couple of my children. We did some work with some of the deacons here around the church building. We had a compactor, Dan Hoflinger's favorite piece of equipment. And, uh, and we had to return it. We got it back with two minutes to spare. And we took it into Home Depot, and, or we dropped it off up front, went into Home Depot. There was an employee there. He's wearing his, his orange apron. And he went to check it in. Had to go look at it, came back, he's checking it in, writing the number down, doing something on his computer, and then he just kind of lost it. He didn't, he didn't yell, but he just kind of lost it. You know, Home Depot this, Home Depot that. Why do they do this? Not only do, they have to, do I have to enter my name, but I also have to enter the store number. They obviously know where this store is. They know what it's on this. They have the address here, but now they want the store number. I don't know what that is, like three numbers? Six numbers, something like that. I don't know. It's not very long. There was nobody else in the room, just me and, my, and two of my children. And he used the term morons to describe the people who wanted number him to enter numbers. And they were quiet. They stood behind me. I stood there, listened to his rant about the company that pays him to be there. And I don't know. Maybe those numbers, maybe they cause him blisters on his fingers. Maybe maybe someone came up with the idea and there's no purpose for it. Maybe they'll change it next week and be like, why are we doing this to our employees? You know, it's just too much to ask of them. Maybe, maybe they're wrong. And we left. I had to ask one of them this morning, now what word did they use to describe? And morons. Okay. And I want you to know, as a child of God who understands. God has given me understanding and wisdom and knowledge. He has put me here, maybe at Home Depot. He has asked me, he knew they were going to ask me to go boom, boom, boom. Should I be calling, if I believe all those things I just said, should I be calling my employer or the people above me morons? No, because God knew who, you can use the adjective you want to describe your employer, who he was going to put over you when he put you there. He knew the hours they were going to ask of you. He knew the respect they were going to give you or the disrespect. He knew how they were going to run the company. And he chose to put you there because he's molding you. And when I look at Daniel, Daniel almost lost his life. At the very least, he had to sleep in the a den of lions that would have been rank with stench. And here comes the king. And Daniel's response is, O king, live forever. 
You know, blow your employer's socks off when you go in tomorrow and say, oh, so-and-so, live forever. No, don't do that. But show some respect. Honor them. God may not have you there long, but he has you there now. I can't help but notice, and did you see it in verse number 20, where he, where he rises early in the morning, he goes there and he cries with a lamentable voice and he says, O Daniel, servant of the living God, whom thou servest continually. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome. You know what Darius knew about Daniel? That Daniel was a servant of God. That's what Darius knew about Daniel. And if you and you can read on, I'm not taking time to do it this morning, but you read on in this chapter, and, and, and Darius throws all of the guys who got Daniel in trouble into the den of lions with their wives and children. And the Bible says that before they hit the ground, they were being torn apart. Don't follow their example. Okay, we can we can glean that from that. Um, and then Darius basically says he talks about the God of Daniel to, to throughout the whole nation. He talks about the God of Daniel. And some of us might say, you know what, Pastor Ferguson, I've been doing right for a long time and my employer is still not giving me this kind of recognition. He's still not honoring the Lord. Then keep doing what is right. Listen to Titus 2 as we close. He says, exhort servants or employ employees to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. And the words answering again means disputing or speaking against or contradicting or refusing. This is New Testament, Titus chapter 2 and verse 9. And he's telling to Pastor Titus, teach your people not to contradict and dispute with and argue with and refuse what their employers lead them to do. He says not purloining. What does that mean? Have you been purloining? I mean, I, when's the last time I haven't asked any of my children that you were purloining, weren't you? Okay, we don't use that term a lot. But the word purloining means this, to secretly keep back. In other words, they don't do their best. They don't, you didn't do your best in school. You didn't do your best on the court. You didn't do your best at work. And God actually tells us in the New Testament to teach the church, don't you dare hold back in the workplace. You give it your all. Well, they're not paying me for my all. I don't expect God to give you more if you don't do your all. I don't. Don't hold back. You give it your all. Why? It's not that they deserve it. It's that he deserves it. That's the difference. You give it your all. You pour yourself out. You do your best. I'm not talking about causing damage to your family or your church family or children. But in the workplace, you give it everything that you have. And then he says this, but showing all good fidelity. That means moral conviction and persuasion that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. So you're a Christian and God has put you in the workplace. He says, don't you hold back. You give it your all. Don't you resist your employer and talk bad about him and, 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 and argue and debate with him. You give it all that you have so that the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ that they have seen in your life so that it will make God look glorious. That's why he says to do it. Not for this. Not for the retirement. Not for the praise of men. But for the praise of God. Pastor Tom, would you come?